Hello, my name is James Pikeway and welcome to Catching Up. I recently had a conversation with Ella Spira and Pietra Mello Pittman. All I can say is wow. These two women are the co-founders of Sisters Grimm. They are a leading UK cultural force. They're MBE awarded. They've been Grammy nominated. They're a trailblazing duo that has put on amazing culturally themed spectacular shows. They recently wrapped up here in Dubai with a show called Daughters of the Wind and the 50 for 50 series. They're motivating, they're innovating, they're inspiring, they're funny. I think you're going to love this conversation. Sit back, relax, and let's get into it. Here they are, Ella Spira and Pietra Mello Pittman. Uh, how did you two meet? We we met in this place in North London that's a sort of bar thing, and neither of us ever really go to North London. And it was a rare night that Pietra had off from the Royal Ballet, um, and her boyfriend at the time was DJing, and I had um, a cousin in town, and I didn't really want to go out, but we did. So it was a bit like fate and stars aligned because in no other circumstance would we have been in North London in that bar it was just something magic happened and what was kind of interesting about how our relationship has gone is that we started by working together straight away so we found this kind of creative bond it wasn't a friendship that then we thought oh should we try something it was you know this kind of creative amazing match that then blossomed into basically the marriage that we have now, you know, <laughs> <Sister's grim. laughs> so, so what was the first project? Our first project as sisters grim was, uh, sorry, was Rapunzel, the final chapter. And it was a film shot at the Royal Opera house in London. First time the opera house had ever shot something like that. We had the most incredible cinematic team with us. Um, in 2009 that was. And uh, Ella well, composed. That was our sisters grim project. Yeah. Was but that the not first the first project oh, yeah. we ever worked on together was before that, wasn't it? Absolutely. And what was that one? That was Leon Orfini, a surrealist artist that we brought to life um, through a ballet piece that was presented at the Royal Opera House again. Uh, Ella composed the music and recorded the score at Abbey Road. And it was sort of from that project that we realised we really make stuff happen. And uh, that's when we set up Sisters Grimm after we'd worked together on that. Is, is there ever been... As, uh, you know, sort of a second thought where you kind of go, I don't know if this is going to work. Have you ever had that? Mm, no. Nah, nah. <laughs> no. I, I get the sense, I get the sense that both of you just kind of look at things and say, you know what, there's a challenge here. This is, this sounds like a lot of fun and let's just get out here and do it. I'll, I'll tell you the only thing that sometimes makes us go, mm, not sure about this is when we don't have the right people. Or when there's someone attached who's who's rocking the boat in a way that isn't helping us fulfill what what the project could be and that was in the end i think one of the ways that we ended up going oh and realizing that there was some magic between us was that we had someone else in the mix who just wasn't free enough and i mean mentally yeah. free enough really um and that was holding us back so we thought right let's let's this just us really so when, yeah. when, when you get a when you get a situation like that i'm just curious because this is kind of like a businessy kind of thing but when you get a person in the you know who's come into the team or you know you're working on a project and you get that toxic person or that person who's not thinking down your lines do you just sort of give them their walking orders and say hey thank you very much but you know we'll try something else another day no no, no. we we do always give everyone sort of i think probably too much in a way of a of uh, an opportunity to try to make it work and sometimes that can lead to it being harder I think to mm. then to then cut um over the years to be completely frank about it I think that is only something that you learn with experience you know we have had many people that in hindsight now when we look back at the journey where we go you know we really now we'd cut it straight away in fact there are people that we had part of certain things that we wouldn't have even in, in now we wouldn't no. even entertain no. we would now we sort of understand we understand that we have a company culture we understand yeah. how we work our style and everything and now we have the confidence and the expertise to you know own being the female bosses as well and we just wouldn't put up with half the stuff we did back then now so so when i mean when i look at your profiles 
they're both very different profiles, but I can I kind of see where it all links in together. How tell me a little bit about that that those early days. Tell me a little bit about finding your common ground and that that creative respect that you give each other. Tell me tell me those stories. Who's going to start? You start. I'll you start. start. Um, well, from my perspective, I was at the Royal Ballet, um, and I was and always, not just for a few years either. Oh yeah, I, my my <laughs> career at the Royal Ballet spanned thirteen years, but I met Ella in two thousand and eight, and I was always inspired. I was always working on projects. I, I didn't know I was a creative producer. I was just collaborating with people and working on projects and making things happen. Did anyone ever in that whole process, those three, and you're collaborating and doing, did anyone ever just say, Hey, you know, you're a creative producer. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) I couldn't do that. (laughs) And it was, um, I was really inspired by Diaghilev who, um, formed Ballet Russe and commissioned Tchaikovsky and to write the score for everything that we still hear now at Christmas, you know, Nutcracker, Swan Lake, you name it, those pieces that live on. And, and he wasn't a dancer or a composer or an artist. He was the producer, and I was inspired by him. And then when I met my Tchaikovsky, Ella, everything clicked into place, and we could really work on things that I'm sort of really operational-driven, you know, the detail, the, the things like that, and Ella's big vision and ideas. And together it was the absolute perfect mix. That's, That's kind of cool when you yeah, find each I, other I think, that way. I think one of the other things is that we, from the beginning, we've had total trust in each other's um, barometer of quality and ability to deliver. Um, and I don't know why we both had that in each other, but we totally did. And I think it was that that made us realise that what we had together was completely different to relationships that we had with other people. And at that time, I was writing music for film for uh, small theatre projects for and some bigger theatre projects and then and a whole load of things sort of in between commercials and stuff like that but I I was always a bit frustrated by by I think wanting to be able to help more or something or, or so I, I don't know I, I found myself more more and more sort of feeling a bit like mm, I'm not I'm not quite I'm not quite doing what I want here and it was definitely you know meeting Pietra that missing piece of oh hang on this is because actually we can have ideas together that we can realize and that we can bring an amazing team together to to collaborate with us and sometimes some people that are not so amazing that we wouldn't allow in now that you know that we that we then kind of create these pools of people that that do something magic together and it really speaks to people and I think that's through through what's happened in the pandemic and our sort of diversification into into slightly different formats it's we're still achieving exactly the same thing because we're coming from that same authentic true real artistic place and ultimately collaboration is totally at its core which which i think is is our big defining factor in a way you know, this is the pandemic has obviously been a huge change for everyone. It had it's had a, an interesting effect for you guys, as you said. It's caused you to think a little bit differently about what you're producing, how you're delivering it. Can, can you walk me through that? That and what what had to happen for the for the two of you in your thought process to pivot from where you were what was going on to where you're going. And obviously the doors are still open for, for those much larger things as well, but it's, it's a different kind of construction that you've gotten into. Yeah. It's been amazing to see our audience grow through this new Avenue and having to go more digital, you know, our track record is in huge lives, theatrical shows that tour globally involve lots of people from different countries flying around and we were really lucky to be here in Dubai when, you know, for lockdown, which meant Ella could, co-write with her Arab collaborator, create, you know, do everything we would normally do for our shows. So create this incredible album of music, which really then we just started to showcase and, and pull out these individual elements that make up our huge shows in themselves and show that they are individual experiences in themselves. And that's what we started to do. And I think after about six single, six song releases, we had over 9 million views. Which is incredible. In, in the sense of, of how you pull together these shows, and we'll, we'll talk about 50 for 50 and, and, and so on, but 
how has that changed your thinking, Ella, at all when you're when you're composing and when you're you're producing the content? Has has there been a big shift or not really? It is that's really interesting because actually from the very beginning, one of the things that I think makes makes our shows slightly different is that when I approach songwriting with any collaborator, it's songwriting. So they are they are kind of themed on things that are relatable for anyone from any nationality, from any culture, from any religious background, from you know, they are basic kind of human human themes, really. Um, and so in in that way, it does it the approach has always been to create the music in in that kind of almost you know a singular a singular a singular piece of art, a singular piece of work, but that then can be sewn into this full score. And that has been there from the very beginning. And so then as part of that, we've always released albums or had, even if we haven't released them yet, they are there ready to go, you know, with the album campaign once the shows go up again. But that, so in a sense, actually, this was a very natural organic shift across to not only having the songs available in in an audio, um, in just, just as audio for album releases, but also having having this visual element, which we hadn't, we'd done as part of our, development of all of our shows we have always put a huge amount of emphasis and a lot of funding behind filming things really beautifully we bring in film teams that work on you know really big sort of blockbuster films because then they bring a different kind of quality not just the commercials team and so in doing that we already had this this massive bank of material that was really, really high quality, you know, like cinema level kind of quality. But we were, previous to the pandemic, only really using it as part of our promotional material and building the narrative of this, of how the, what the journey of the show was and what the show looked like. And now with that's the, the addition I would say that has been newer is this approach of kind of shorter pieces of film that are actually, you know, music videos in themselves. And I don't like the word content because I think this word content gets thrown around all the time in relation to influencers and that space. And that's not taken away from influencers, but, you know, that thing of having something that is 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes is is one thing, you know, but really what we're talking about here is even in music videos creating a longer piece that has more form more structure there's a bit more real artistry in my opinion to to the development of music videos then and and so it fits a different space and i also believe therefore that it can have more impact how do you find the the connection i'm i'm just curious when you're you're talking about music composition and and that side of your brain, but then there's another little compartment where you've got the art side. How, how do you find the two of them coming together? I think that where, where my um, painting kind of character comes from is exactly the same place as where my music writing comes from. It's wanting to translate a feeling. And again, I think it's a, it's a, you know, a human emotion thing and it's about, um, I think for me, I'm mostly about feeling the light, feeling the energy of a, of what's going on in that particular thing. If it doesn't sort of, if it's not compositionally kind of sitting right, the image, I can't, I, I can't do it. But if there's something magic and something that's really, you know, literally making my skin tingle, then that's what I'm drawing on for, for painting. And that's exactly the same thing that happens when I'm writing music. So this must become very interesting when you're interacting with visuals and music, and then you're, you're part of the mix as well. How, how do you, how do you find your own visceral relationship with, with what's being created? Oh, well, it's a total dream. I came from <laughs> working 13 years, you know, surrounded by music at the opera house. So it's this transition into now music. I, I think is the best in the world. Um, written with you know people we we love it's amazing when you when these collaborations that Ella does you see them happening it is like watching these sort of kindred spirits come together creating this amazing stuff so for me it's not 
it's my dream place. I get to, my entire life is about making sure that this art that's being created reaches as many people as possible visually. And because it's, it's an experience, that's what we produce. The feedback we've had is, is what makes it all worthwhile. You know, seeing the impact that these works or experiences in different languages that people don't understand what's being sung, but they come and tell you afterwards, I could feel it. You know, I could, I could, I felt so emotional or I got goosebumps or thank you for allowing me to cry. You know, I haven't been able, I haven't done that. Or, um, you know, you can see good singers, but they weren't emotional. Your, your, your talent on stage, it was so emotional. I had such a good time. So um, that makes it, that's why I do, why we do what we do. And it's interesting because, you know, 13 years as a ballerina, but you're still dancing and you still I mean, it, 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 I mean, it's interesting because you, you keep, there's, there's that finite split, but as I'm listening to you talk, I'm not hearing the split. I mean, you, you, it gets up, there's a punctuation there and yes, it's a different, there's, it's different dancing in a different context, but it's, you're still, you're still a ballerina. Yeah. I think, I don't think that ever leaves you really. I don't think it leaves you. And certainly the, the sort of discipline that's, that's in you when you come from that sort of artistic disciplines that Ella and I come from you know our our training is classical it's rooted in hours and hours and years and a lifetime of dedication that doesn't leave you you just carry that approach into everything you do when when the two of you were in kindergarten so think back what what did you think you would be doing as adults did I mean did you you think you'd be a a ballerina did you think you'd be a composer artist kindergarten yeah kindergarten at four at five 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 yeah because everyone says what do you uh, you know, at five, we all have a thing. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. I want to be, you know, a, a trash collector. I don't know. What did what, what did you, what, what did you ladies think I, you'd be doing? I'm not sure I remember, but I was surrounded by music and art because most of it, well, a lot of my family have come from from arts of some sort, even if it was uh, sort of semi-professional. But um, my my grandfather was a composer and a conductor my my grandma um was an is well she just about can't play anymore but she always played the piano a lot my parents both in bands my parents are both artists so I think I thought I would go into I think I probably thought I would be an artist but I probably didn't at that time there was a point at which I know I found out that composers really and that was when I was really more like 13 I mean I knew because I played the piano since I was six but I I didn't really think about modern day composers you know everyone that I was playing was dead (laughs) you know Mozart, Brahms, Chopin you know whatever was it was all it was all from people that had not been around for hundreds of years really um but uh but I, I I think before I came to this, oh, oh, composers are still around now. Oh, yeah, okay, that thing, which was actually thanks to my music teacher at school. And whenever I get a chance to say thank you to her, I do, because I was at a rough school in Gloucester. What's it was her, a great what, school. What's her name? Who is she? We, we need to... Yeah, we do. We need to say thank you to her. She's, um, she's Lynn Burr, and she was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, it was quite a challenging school. Yeah. And these two women who ran the music department just had total control. They were absolutely brilliant. You know, they'd make those people who made everybody else kind of quiver in their boots feel about this big. You know, they were just brilliant. And she kind of protected me from lots of perhaps not such good behavior. I skived quite a lot of lessons that I was just not interested in at all. But I wasn't out on the field smoking. I was, you know, in in music writing yeah. and having kind of this bubble that she created for me really. Um, but when I, I think before, before that point, which was when I was about 13, I think um, she, uh, no, but yeah. So before I was about 13, I was definitely on the, Oh, I want to be a performer, I think, but I'm not a performer. I'm an absolutely terrible performer actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm dreadful. See, I, I never would have thought that. Like ever, that's that's interesting. <laughs> they're, they're different skills, aren't they? Because Pietro is an amazing performer, and, yeah, and that's that that was a big difference between between our skill sets in a way. Dancing, uh, skating, all of these. Yeah. Okay. I moved to the UK when I was five. I was born uh-huh. in Brazil. My mum's Brazilian, and um, it was only when I came to UK that I started dancing because it was compulsory at my school. I sort of have a very opposite different um 
start in life to Ella in terms of schooling. I went to an all-girls private school uh, that made you do ballet. And I just remember my friends being terrified. I think one of them wet themselves. And I thought, what, what on earth's wrong with you? We, we have to pretend to be princesses and dance around like magical stars. This is my absolute dream world. I will do this every day, all day, until, until, I, until I don't wake up. Um, and it started from there with dancing and, and sort of not really sport, but skating were sort of passions I really liked doing. And, and, um, and it was a serious hobby, but it wasn't until I was 16 that I auditioned and, and sort of then swapped my days around and went into full-time dance training and academics became the thing I did in the evening. Um, so, yeah, I was told, well, I don't remember either, Ella. I think, oh, I, th- oh, I think I was told I wanted to be a vet when I was little because I really like animals, but then it was pointed out to me that you have to do, you know, some, make horrible decisions and I would never do yeah. that. Interesting. Tell me, tell me about Daughters of the Wind. How, how, did, how did this come about? How did it start? What was, what was that initial grain of sand that, that happened between you two that said, hey, this is a great idea? Oh, we were. Um, should, should I, should I start? And, and I'd, I'd love to just interrupt each other. I'm just going to sit back here and have some water. <laughs> okay, so um, Dust of the Wind is, is our Arab world show. And um, we, in sort of exploring what themes we felt were particular to the Arabian Peninsula, um, this thing of horses and what that represents was was pretty large and in charge. And it's not, I think we want to make really clear with this, that it's not about whether somebody is privileged enough to have a horse, because that is clearly a situation of absolute privilege. But what we liked about what it represented and what that relationship with horses represents is actually the opposite, which is that horses and that relationship with nature strips you of all of the superficial materialistic nonsense it really you know takes it back to to what's inside and horses because horses don't care what car you drive what what you're wearing what how much money you earn they don't care about that stuff it's a it really is a kind of soul to soul connection thing and that was what we liked about what this relationship with horses represented and then through being in the region, I think we we hear a lot about this ambition of the region, um, the region's environmentalism. So we wanted to kind of hinge this female character around around environmentalism, which linked really nicely back to this this horse relationship, and that actually she draws her inspiration and her kind of way into learning from nature through her relationship with her horse. And that, so that was kind of what we got to. And, and also the fact that we've made it a lead female character is because we see lots of strong women in the UAE. There are you know, a lot of very strong Arab women, and that is a wonderful thing and perhaps not necessarily something that, that the rest of the world knows as well so much, which, which felt like a strong thing because at the end of the day, the reason we wanted to do an Arab world show was because we wanted to create something that shows – it gives a really celebratory kind of space for Arab culture because there's just not much of it present in our kind of international landscape of live entertainment. In the West End, apart from Aladdin, there isn't really anything that is representing Arab culture. Same really on Broadway. No, I'm not criticising at all, but there is a space for it. And that's where we felt like we could, we could help fill that space a bit. Describe the show because it 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 really and there you know it's just finished here in Dubai. When people are hearing this, it's it's done. But it I mean it it is it is it's going to move on, and there are there are great plans. We'll talk a little bit about that. But describe the show because it's not it's a very interesting format that you've pulled together that that the story unfolds on on multiple planes and. That really is what gives that visceral attachment to what you're doing. Well, 50 for 50 is an experience in two parts. Act one, you walk through 50 of Ella's stunning landscape paintings that she's done on location in every emirate over the last um, almost couple of years. And each piece has a soundtrack, which includes soundscape she's recorded of, you know, these horses swimming, the birds, the Arabian-colored kingfisher, the waters in the creeks and so it's sort of this immersive multi-sensory exhibition part of act one and then when you come to act two you have a screening of daughters of the wind 
which is features all the paintings. No CGI. It was interesting. Some people actually thought there was CGI. Really? The pa- no, okay. they weren't. The paintings were rigged and were kind of theatrically rigged in the theatre, in Dubai Opera, moving up and down. And they sort of, they represent the, the view through her office window, the landscape she's, you know, riding through with her horse, and features um, the protagonist, which in the film was played by me as a ballerina, and two singers singing live in Arabic and English, uh, which is D.B. Gad and Maddie and Hamza. And D.B. Gad is Ella's co-writer. And so you sort of, that sort of wraps up the experience that you've been through and sort of it culminates in this story at the end where you see the characters living in this world. You've, you've anecdotally shared some of the comments you've had from different people who've gone through Act 1 and Act 2. Tell us a little bit about what people are saying. And I mean, you, you alluded to it. But it's it what a what a great feeling as creators you must have when you hear these comments from people who are having their own experience from the pieces that you brought together. I love seeing somebody applaud a TV. I think that's exactly <laughs> what we wanted, you know, like clapping, clapping at the end of a song to the TV where they can't bow. It's like yes, um, and because we we the whole experience is with headphones, so that you have this intimate, you know, best quality sonic experience. And so it makes everyone talk louder. And so there was lots of like, wow, oh, sound effects as well to, to part two. Seeing people dance along and bop the whole way through looking at a painting. I've always, Ella's literally made my, another dream come true, which is I've always gone to art exhibitions and wanted music for me. I just, uh-huh. it always, I didn't like the dead silence. I didn't like not having that audio connection to the artist world at the time and, and the mood of the painting and stuff like that. And Ella's done that. So... Um, most people comment how unique the experience is having the artist's voice, having this music, having the story, and how um, they love the fusion of the arts. And I think Ella says, you know, people can talk about it because of this musical element. People connect to that. Uh, one of the things I've really noticed is that the profile of our of our sort of main audience for this format is exactly the same as our live shows. And that was what we hoped. There we go. I know. <laughs> it really was a kind of like, oh, well done, us, you know, kind of moment. Um, and it's been really special to see that we've had 39 nationalities come through and 39 nationalities where, you know, 95% of those people have really um, had, had an emotional journey and had a what we understand to be a special experience with the show and that is that's that means a lot as well because that means we're getting it right we're getting it right and that we're getting this kind of delivery of of being able to take tap into human emotions again and that's not a it's not preconceived none of that is it's I think it's just very natural for us and that's ultimately also where I think our role in society fits. You know, we we create work that is about societal development, hopefully a bit of positive societal change, and that actually is for, for the masses. So, you, you know, we're, we're not doing things that are really overly conceptual. There's a conceptual element in that there are, there's messaging that is underpinning everything that is about the societal change piece. But you know, we're not we're not doing things where people have to really, really search to kind of see the meaning and to get it. And I'm not um, I, I love some conceptual and abstract art. I really do. But it's not accessible for the masses, mostly, you know, whereas what we do is perhaps not so much for those people who are seeking those very conceptual abstract experiences that kind of throw them somewhere else which to be honest is quite a small niche audience an important audience but it's a small niche space what we're doing and what we've always done it's exactly the same with our shows is speaking to a bigger global audience and that's that's what i think we've achieved with this you know people have cried people have people have laughed people have just these really kind of lovely things of seeing somebody walk through walk through a space and be transported somewhere else and be taken on a bit of a journey is someone to say it's escapism because that sounds like you know dramatic or we need to escape life but it's like it gives people a, a a moment to just kind of just pause just stop and and kind of go somewhere else for a minute we had this lovely comment from someone who's a a teacher of autistic children who we don't know 
um, and she, you know, she'd heard about it, but she gave a testimony to one of our wonderful invigilators that um, she really enjoyed it. She really found the whole thing very special and that in a word, she would say it was very peaceful. And that's that's really important, too, you know, that actually we we can create these experiences that give people just a moment of peace and harmony. You know, that's that's lovely. I, I love the idea that as you're going through Act One, you're you're looking at the images You've got some headphones on. So it's a very public presentation, but a very private presentation as well. And that I, I just find that ingenious in, in creating an environment where people can create their own feeling to things as opposed to sort of the wallpaper where everyone's hearing the same thing at the same time and, and being part of it, which is it's just a different way of doing it. But wow. That's so so nice that you've that you've said that because that was that was the intention. We talked about should we have speakers because we could have. That was something that Dubai Opera you know made clear we could have done, and but it was a it was a specific choice to go. Let's let's allow everybody to have their own sort of private experience because the moment you put headphones on, you are kind of creating a little bit of a wall or something you know that gives you your own sort of oh I can kind of lose myself in this for a minute and what's also quite interesting to see is that for the first few paintings people are a little bit fidgety it's exactly the same with the show with every single show I think we've ever been to it was just like you know it takes a minute for people to settle in and then they kind of go oh right okay this is this is what this is about this is what this is and by about the fifth or sixth painting or something you really see people kind of lose themselves in it a bit and that's I think where that moment of if if they like it because you know oh it's totally subjective and it's not for everybody but if they like it they can it's like that's where you see this moment of peace and like oh yeah okay now they're now they're really tapping into that sort of that heart that soul that emotion you know that sort of heartbeat of the whole thing is there a natural progression from start to end? Do they, do they, does it flow in or are they each? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We pieced it all together. So we move through, you know, the green space, the green room into the blue space and city and the story, and then sort of come out the other side. And definitely sort of the way the score is constructed takes you on that emotional, like roller coaster of a, you know, very cleverly orchestrated roller coaster <laughs> to build up to the, to the end. And then you just sort of, like it says, see people go, oh, wow. And then come at the end, sort of, yeah. As 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 cultural, you know, I'm going to call you cultural creators. As creators of cultural artifacts and and items and things, when when I mean the show's wrapping here, does that give you an opportunity to reassess and say, okay, this this part really worked well. What what can we add? What might we? How might we redo that? Do you, do you go through that process as well? Yeah, absolutely. And and the way that we developed the Doors of the Wind Overture was very much with this thought in mind that we could scale the cast and performing number up. Or, you know, we can keep it to the three performers and, and we know that Pietra and Majan and DB will all absolutely own it because they are brilliant. And, you know, we can put it on like that with the paintings being flown in and out. And by the way, to have paintings flying in and out of a show like That's that, crazy. Paintings, yeah. it was a first. That has never happened. No one else is mad enough to do it, I don't think. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is amazing. There's something very kind of moving and magical. And, and the dynamic of those three, because they're such exceptional performers, with those just works perfectly. But it could also work brilliantly with a scaled up cast. We would uh not sure if we're really allowed to talk about this but we are really hoping that we're going to be able to put it on maybe in Sharjah but we're probably not supposed to say that yet um so what would a scaled up cast look like what if you, when you scale this up what, what are we talking well, we always have a we always have scaled large, up shows. Yeah, yeah we always have um a lot of singers so uh-huh. and then a lot of dancers but and a live band obviously everything's live there's no you know miming in our shows and uh, and everyone is working together, you know, sharing the same space. But that's we a totally have, different show. So though. you have these multidisciplinary artists finding that common ground, and obviously you have the uber trained dancers and the and they're all professional singers. But this common ground where they all tell the same story together, and and that's what we would do here, and um, you know, really create that show that that is celebrating and spotlighting the talent here alongside international talents. So hypothetically, if you were to do that, 
when, when would that, I mean that, what goes into, cause that's a slightly different mindset from what you've, what you've created now. What, what goes into doing that? I mean, you've got, yes, everyone's trained and everyone is professional, but that's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. That's what you do. <laughs> so what, when, when would we expect something like that, wherever it might happen? Is, is that pandemic kind of related or, you know, we're fortunate in the UAE that things have, have opened up a little bit differently? It, we, we could conceivably put it on in, let's say, April, May time, um, providing nothing else changes with the pandemic in the UAE. And what we would, in that iteration we could work with more singers in the region, possibly look at incorporating a few more dancers or, you know, people who would do um, become part of the movement as well. Um, but certainly on the singers front, there is a talent pool of people that we would be very happy to work with in, in creating essentially a choir, really. Um, and it would still maintain being that shorter overture length because that's that's what we think is appropriate at this point through the pandemic and, and with not being able to sort of move around our international artists. And then we would look to open the full length show that we would then tour to the West End and Singapore and then hopefully even China, which would be very interesting um, from sort of 2025 is when we're looking at doing that really. I, I, as I'm listening to you talk about all of this, I mean, it's exciting, but I'm, I'm curious as, and I want to go back when you're talking about being the, the, the women bosses and we're talking about culture and we're talking about industry. There is a business here, but there is also, you know, industry and business. There's a, a murky line between those two. What are some of the challenges you find yourselves facing as you really bring a very particular cultural industry to life, I, I mean, I, I mean, I got, I got a check sheet of things that I would think you're facing. What are, what are some of the challenges you face? And, and the, the follow-up question to that would be, what do you want to see happening, not just here, but globally to encourage more of what you're doing? Who's going to answer that? Ella? Oh, okay. All right. I, 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 oh, so much to well, say. Yeah, challenges. Here? Here. Well, well, challenges well, it, here. You know, it could be here and and uh, around. I mean, different places have different challenges. Well, right? everywhere in the world, doesn't matter yeah. where you are, funding is obviously mm. the biggest challenge, uh, always. Um, capital raising, you know. Um, it's it's an industry that isn't, and, and to be a female entrepreneur, business founder, um, you know, it's not not public knowledge that 0.0 nothing percent goes of funding goes to female um, business founders in you know from VCs. So that we're looking forward to being a big positive change. You know, more funding going to female entrepreneurs and business owners. So funding globally is always an issue, and we've been very creative at how we've fundraised uh, for our shows and and toured them globally. And here, um, there are slightly different challenges, aren't there, Ella? Yeah. So here, um, it, it feels like there needs to be a slightly different thought process to how it can be evolved in a way that is really allowing artists in the region to be their most true, authentic artist selves. And fundamentally, I think that comes down to longevity and trying to not slap a kind of business plan, GDP, economic expectation onto, onto that growing industry too soon. And there's, let's, let's also perhaps for a moment think about what falls into the creative industry. I think let's separate out events because this is one of the areas that concerns me that people think that events are art. And it's not to say that art might not feature in events, but the business of events is completely different. And that is, therefore, you cannot kind of go, well, events do this. So therefore, proper art should do this. Well, no, it doesn't work like that. See, that's how and naive it, you know, I am, that I, I, I wouldn't even think that people would be categorizing you like that. An event is an event and, and, and an art installation or an art production 
cultural production is is a totally different thing. But I mean, you're right. That's I mean, someone sitting there with with the spreadsheet saying, okay, uh, you know, it looks like an event. It's got a whole bunch of similarities to an event. It must be an event. It's not an event. We've had quite a lot of people say, oh, you know, oh, this is your first event. Like, oh, this is not an event. <laughs> I would take that as quite a massive offense, to be completely honest. I'm not taking away from what the events industry is. The events industry is brilliant. It totally has its place. But there's also, I think, this misconception of then going, well, actually, then we should apply exactly the same thinking from events to this. And also, the people who are running events are not the people who should be put in charge of the arts because it is completely and utterly different. And the thing is, there is such huge potential in the UAE. You know, there really is massive, massive potential, such a huge melting pot of, of different cultures, of Arab culture, you know, from it's representative of, I think, it's fair to say, every probably every part of Arab culture is represented in the UAE in some way. You know, the fact that we've had 39 different nationalities come through the show is, that is amazing. And that's a mix of residents and tourists. And that really shows, also shows the diversity of the UAE, which is fabulous. But it's, it's I think this, this thing of not having a, or, or it needing perhaps a way of a, a more democratized kind of pot of money that is available for artists who really have a voice and have something to say that can add something really interesting long term to to history and to arts globally, but also for the region. Because if it's coming out of there, then then you know there's a bit of ownership from the region in enabling that art to happen. But the pots of money need to be there, and they need to be there not only for people who know someone. It needs to be there. A bit like, I don't want to say, oh, it should be exactly the same as the Arts Council. Like, yes, do it, you know, do it in a, in your own way. But but it but the Arts Council, the thing about the Arts Council that is brilliant is anybody can apply. And there's, a, you know, there's a way of applying to the Arts Council, but it's not about who you know, you know, and it's not about whether you're privileged enough to know that person or, or whatever. And that's, you know, the really the, the potential is there, but it needs to be treated long term and it needs to be stopped. I think there's a danger in it being seen as something that is going to suddenly contribute to GDP and contribute to the economy in this huge way in a year. But it doesn't work like that. You know, in the UK, we've had centuries and centuries of a big proper industry. Our first West End theatre in, in London, obviously, um, was 400 years ago. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that, you know, we need to wait 400 years for things to be, for the creative industry to be economically viable in the UAE. But there is there is something to be taken from the fact that it needs really long term support that is actually seen as a bit more of a philanthropic approach to, to the financing rather than rather than a, a, a more traditional kind of investment type approach yeah do, do you get a sense that people are listening uh, oh listening to, oh, listening to, to, to what to this whole idea as you've just outlined it that it's not just about profit there's there's something more to this and yes there is a financial side to it but that there's a reason and a need to have this and to create funding models that work here alongside the events people but you know that that this is a very specific thing do you, do you get a sense that, that that there are some ears that are opening a little bit to this um i think lots of things are being said but i think that that thing of it it's um no no no, I no, really, I, it feels like it's edging that way. Yeah. And it feels like there are also some publications that are really brilliantly kind of highlighting, look, if you say this, what's underpinning that? You know, if this is being put out, where's the thing? So one of the other things that we've talked about is the fact that if you're going to kind of create focus groups or create, if there's going to be a, 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 a platform for discussion about how to develop this, money needs to be earmarked and identified properly before before even starting that, like there has to be a proper big amount of investment, whether that's from probably needs to be from the government in the same way that, you know, in, in a lot of the countries that have really, really strong historical arts industries, that is really only possible because of the government kind of financial support. Mm. So through and not necessarily, sorry to interrupt, not necessarily just directly, but right. through then creating incentives or the whole ecosystem of how, 
yeah. how you fund something. America is completely opposite to the UK. Right. You know, that's it's philanthropic Canada's circles, it's incentive, circles of course, well, yeah. Canada as well. Um, and so it's just what what is that ve- what are the vehicles you are supporting and putting in place to incentivize either philanthropic support or, you know, investment or or government support, government parts. I mean, it, it's kind of, it's kind, it's got to be kind of exciting in a sense and frustrating that that you're at a very early point here in this whole process in this nation that that your ideas, your tenacity to get these projects going is getting people talking. And even if it's you know just quietly and and saying, hey, we got to do something, we've got to we got to be thinking differently about this. But 10 years down the road, they're going to say, well, you know, Sisters Grimm, these, these ladies, they really got us. They're, they're the core of, of some of how this started. I mean, that's got to be, I mean, you're not thinking it, about it. It, but. it does feel exciting. And that is, I mean, in the end, it's because of the potential in the region, which is why we've even got a base in the region. You know, that's, that, that is fundamentally it. And whilst, whilst we're saying these things, we're not criticizing. No, we're no, saying it because we can see what could be what could be changed to actually achieve the things that we know we know that the country wants to happen. We know that that top layer of people are really keen for certain things to happen. One of the things I will say that has been a really lovely thing to find out recently is that um, the uh, Sultan al-Qasimi in Sharjah, the ruler of Sharjah, I love the way that he has developed the Bajil Art Foundation because that has come from an authentic place for him. And, And that has been massively refreshing and just wonderful to realize. And he's not doing it for financial gain you know he's doing it because he started collecting art that he loved and he's got an absolutely brilliant woman working with him they've got a great little team but the woman that we've gotten to know is absolutely brilliant and she really knows her stuff and she's very authentic and uh, it feels like their balance is is really kind of allowing doing what we're talking about here which is allowing uh, the the collection of the Bargiel Art Foundation and representation of of Middle Eastern artists to grow in a way that is really organic and that isn't about money. Long term, uh-huh. there will be an economic kind of thing around it, and that will be brilliant. And it's grown to be sort of expand and not just be about kind of his voice, but ultimately it, it grew from his interest and it wasn't about making money. And that is that's. Is, there are these things happening and they're just, you know, the potential is there because there is, there is, there's money in the region sure. and there is the possibility for lots, therefore lots to happen. You know, there are certain countries where they're literally surviving day to day, you know, so you, you, we can't put any expectations on them for anything really, just because they are literally only getting food on the table for their people. But, you know, the, the UAE can can do stuff and it could do stuff faster um, than than those other territories. Um, so it does feel exciting and it does feel like things will evolve and change. And it is that thing of feeling, oh, there's the potential here. Oh, but it's so frustrating. Oh, but the potential is here. And, oh, you know, we, we love lots of things about the place, but all these things are, but, you know, we, we can see how things could grow and how actually more could happen and how, you know, more of a safe space for artists to really do something that is their own authentic voice could kind of exist. Oh, but it's not happening yet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> all that. It's going to, it's going to. It's going to. It's going to. It's going to. Uh, on, on a lighter note, I'm I'm really curious. I mean, you you invest a whole bunch of your your time into your crafts, into what you're doing with your projects. What do you do on your downtime? What's what's yeah, your we down- don't do downtime. Yeah, what is downtime? <laughs> I think you were saying you know, when you when your life when you are fortunate enough to have made yeah. your life out of your passions, there isn't a a clocking off time and a free and a time off. You know, it's always um, probably no surprise we're both single. <laughs> because we're just so dedicated and involved and and in in everything we do and it's you know with limit uh, can, can i say one of the things that we do in our downtime that we do together and it's not really it's sort of downtime not really downtime. when we have been places um and we've gone like right okay we're gonna have three days of not doing emails or whatever yeah. um pietra reads aloud we pick a book pietra reads aloud and i paint so you paint to what's being read (laughs) she'll paint the scene that we're in and i will perform the book out loud over three days and finish the book that's rather with all the voices 
that's well because if I don't read aloud I I sort of tend to fall asleep when I read to myself so I prefer to you know dedicate the time off and read the book out loud see now that's kind of fun I never would have thought that (laughs) (laughs) tell you what else though the other thing that's great about that is um it also means that Pietra is really good at reading the script for any presentations that we need to do. So I'm the, <laughs> I'm the eldest of six, and I used to get my little sister to read to me because I thought it would be good practice for her if she ever needed to present anything. And um, and that was part of the thinking as well. With I think we started it, what, maybe six, seven years ago or yeah, something? it used to be the New Year's <laughs> thing. We'd escape somewhere for New Year's, and I'd read a book. Very nice. Yeah, that's very fun. That's that's awesome. So now you're are, are you heading back to the UK because New Year's is coming up? No, I'm staying here throughout yeah. um, Christmas and New Year's, and Ella comes back just after Christmas. So we'll both okay. be ah, so get the we'll New both Year's. Be here for New Year's. Get the New Year's getaway. So we, we I, I, last kind of thing. We know the show is wrapped. We know things are are moving. You mentioned the Burj. Burj, yes, the art moves out of um, is living in the Burj fifty for fifty Burj Khalifa. In a, in a music and art studio that we have there where Ella's written and recorded the songs and, and, and the paintings will live there until they tour. To so so here's, here's the question. There's 50 of them. How are you organizing them in this space? How does, how does that work? Oh, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful space and they yeah. fit there, you know, and it's where we sort of built and put together the, the sort of narrative journey through the artworks. And it looks totally empty when they're out. We realize each one does have, it kind of feels like, oh, where did everybody go? They take on such a sort of, they do become characters. You know, each painting has a personality and I kind of miss them when they're not there. (laughs) And it feels empty. And it was only when we we sort of installed them in this linear, beautiful, in the atrium, linear atrium of Dubai Opera. I was like, oh my goodness, Ella, it's 70 meters (laughs) apart. Um, and it doesn't feel like that in the Burj. They feel very much. It really feels like sort of you're in this doll's house world. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually, most- I'm just thinking back to the 50 for 50 and different times of the day would be a totally different experience. So, you know, come in the morning, come in the afternoon, come at night where you've got different yeah. lighting. We've had repeat, we've had repeat yeah. visitors. So we had um, people that have come in the evening, first of all, and then they've come back to experience in the day and, and said how different it is, how they love both, but um, as the sunlight is changing, and you know the light here in the UAE is just so beautiful, yeah. that as the sun is setting and you get that warm glow and it transitions into night, which actually follows the narrative of the paintings as well. It ends with full moon on Kite Beach, a very sort of emotional, large-scale piece, and people have really responded to, to the light in the space as well. Oh, man, so exciting. I, I, you know what? This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed having this conversation. I'm glad the two of you could make time to do it from London and here in country. This is what a, what a oh, privilege James. for me. I really. Uh, oh, it's been great to chat. Thank you. And I look forward to doing it again. I think uh, I think we could we could carry on this conversation as we're we're doing things. Thank you very much, both of you. I look forward to coming back. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, there we go. That was catching up with Ella Spira and Pietro Mello Pittman. They are the co-founders of Sisters Grimm. Thank you very much for listening. Go check them out online. We'll talk to you again soon. Share the links and so long for now.